Welcome back to another episode of Single Payer Radio. Single Payer Radio is a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. And we're a proud community partner with Forward Radio here on WFMP LP 106.5 forwardradio.org. Here in the studio today with Drs. Michael Flynn and Dr. Gene Shively. Guys, what have we got going on today? Well, Mark, let me begin with uh, the, the usual disclaimer that uh, any uh, comments, uh, uh, positions that I, I make today represent my personal views and do not represent the views of the Department of Surgery or the University of Louisville. Uh, I would like to say that uh, what I say is represents my own personal views and not uh, Taylor Regional Hospital nor the Department of Surgery at the University of Louisville or the University of Louisville. So our topic today is uh, going to be um, administrators, managers, bean counters. Uh, who are they? Why are they there? Why are there so many? And uh, depending upon the time, we may or may not get into electronic health records. So uh, what I would propose that we do initially is let me um, uh, make, provide a background of, of health care in this country today. And then um, I'm going to ask Gene to uh, provide some um, comments on uh, the financial situation, he's got a lot of really good data about that. So uh, the, well, the major issue in this country, at least in my opinion, <clears throat> is that we, we consider health care a um, commodity, like groceries or automobiles or gasoline, uh, as opposed to an essential public service. Um, most of the other, in fact, all of the other uh, first world countries, the 30 plus of them, um, consider health care a, a public service and a, um, an essential uh, uh, and a government responsibility. <clears throat> and I've done this in an assortment of different ways. Um, these are all market economies. They haven't gone bankrupt. And the, their basic uh, function is to provide all of their citizens some reasonable amount of health care. Now, in some of these countries, uh, uh, private health care is available if you want to pay for it, and it may provide you some opportunities to kind of get to the front of the line. And in other countries, uh, this is not allowed. So there's a lot of variability. Uh, what they don't have in those countries, uh, which exists in our country, is 70 to 80, in our country we have 70 to 80 million people who are either uninsured or underinsured and vulnerable to bankruptcy uh, because they can't pay their medical bills. Now, I've uh, wrote a an article for Louisville Medicine last year about this and went through the process of collecting information um, on the internet and I really couldn't find very much information about medical bankruptcy in other countries. 
I found one article that indicated uh, there was one example of a medical bankruptcy in France, country of 70 million people in 2017. Uh, we had a Canadian surgeon on earlier uh, last year, Ted Young from Ontario, Canada, and we asked him about medical bankruptcies in Canada, and he, they just wasn't, just, it's just not something that happens. Uh, on the other hand, uh, in this country, we have uh, 200,000 to 800,000 uh, medically related bankruptcies every year, and that medical bankruptcy represents the most f frequent reason why people apply for bankruptcy in this country. So, um, <clears throat> just a little bit more about the, um, the, the existence of health care in this country is, is not really a system. Uh, I've heard it called a, a, a patchwork or oh, I think a, a crazy quilt is probably <laughs> probably a better description. So we have we have Medicare, which is a um, government-funded health insurance program that covers not all but most of the costs of 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 medical care, hospital and physician care for members of the population who are over sixty-five. Uh, and some special uh, circumstances, people with disabilities who are under 65. We have Medicaid, which is a government-funded, both federal and state, uh, for those under 65 uh, with some, uh, some financial limitations. Now, Medicaid is different things uh, in different places. In Kentucky, Medicaid uh, is a pretty good uh, coverage for the, the poor. Um, it was expanded by a previous governor. Uh, it's not the same in other places. The state, other states like Tennessee, uh, Texas, and maybe Arkansas or Arizona, I'm not sure of all the list of them, have not expanded Medicaid, and Medicaid uh, doesn't provide very good coverage for those individuals in those states who 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 are um, have some financial issues. Then we have the VA system, which is a government-run, uh, not-for-profit system that uh, covers veterans. And this is actually, I, I think, is a, a pretty good program. Uh, there are outpatient facilities. There are VA hospitals all over the country. Um, it's not perfect, but it's a, it's a pretty good system, and most of the veterans are actually pretty happy with the coverage that they get. Um, the uh, branches of the armed services, the Army, Navy, and the Air Force, all have health care systems, which are um, managed by the Department of Defense. These are not-for-profit systems. They provide health care for uh, the active duty members, uh, retired, uh, and uh, for uh, others as well. You remember that uh, President Trump, uh, when he contracted COVID-19, got on a helicopter and went to a flagship 
military hospital in Washington, D.C. to get treated. John McCain has had had some melanomas removed at the Naval Medical Center in Bethesda. Um, Ronald Reagan had his colon cancer resected. And uh, Mitch McConnell had some surgery done as well. So a lot of politicians get free medical care in the military hospitals. And then we have um, over a thousand for-profit health insurance companies that have put together an insanely complex health care system, which is really one of the major difficulties with health care in this country. So, Gene, having laid those, um, uh, laid out the table like that, maybe you could give us some, provide, give us some, make some comments about the really good research you did on the financial situation with healthcare in this country. Well, one of the biggest problems with our healthcare system is so expensive. It represents about 18 percent of our GNP, and that's uh, the highest in the world. Ca Canadian system is about 12 percent, and other uh, first-class countries who are, are wealthy uh, are much lower than ours. And looking into the cost, it's phenomenal how much money we waste. For example, we're the only country in the world that advertises uh, they are the only country where physicians, pharmaceuticals, hospitals advertise. Only New Zealand allows pharmaceuticals to advertise. That's a total waste of money. Other people do much better as in healthcare outcomes than we do. Another big part of the waste of money is the administrative burden. And I was really kind of surprised at how much that cost us. For example, we spend approximately 34% of our health care dollar uh, in uh, administration of health care, where Canada spends about 12%. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you walk into a doctor's office or to a hospital, and there are these huge numbers of for-profit insurance companies, and they all got different forms. They've all got different pre-authorization. They've all got different ways that they pay hospitals and doctors. This creates a phenomenal bureaucracy that other countries don't have to deal with. For example, in Canada, there's just one place that you bill, you get paid, yeah, but in the United States, we have to pre-authorize things. We have to go back and forth with the insurance companies. The hospitals have to do the same thing. Since the 1970s, there's been over 300% increase in the number of administrations, uh, administrators in our healthcare system, which is uh, just mind-boggling. Uh, for 16 uh, people who work in our healthcare system uh, who are in administration, only six of those patients or those people have direct access 
to patient care. The rest of the people are working in offices, on computers, trying to figure out how they're going to get paid, what the patient has to do. And for the patient, it's almost impossible to figure out uh, what they have to do because uh, nobody really understands it, and each insurance company is different. Let me just give you an example uh, of the overhead. Uh, in the, the uh, health care advantage plans that uh, are being pushed really hard these days, which represents about 40% of our Medicare patients, the overhead is around 14%. For the private uh, Medicare patients uh, who uh, go through uh, for-profit insurance companies, it's about 12%. For Medicare alone, it's less than 2%. So Medicare is holding down administrative charges while uh, the uh, private insurance are, are uh, spending uh, lots of money on uh, uh, administrative charges. Let me just give you an example. Uh, in the United States, we spend uh, $2,497 per capita uh, on uh, administrative charges for a patient. In uh, Canada, it's $550. In the Netherlands, we, they spend approximately 20%. In England, they spend 16% in uh, uh, administrative charges. Uh, approximately half of, uh, of, of a provider's overhead is uh, in administrative charges. We have offices who have this phenomenal number of people who are uh, sitting back in an office trying to figure out what they're going to do with these insurance. No other country in the world has that. That's one of the reasons that uh, uh, so many doctors are, are not working for themselves anymore. They're working for hospitals or for very large groups because they cannot keep up with the uh, number or, or the administrative problems in healthcare. Gene, um, I, I remember earlier on one of these programs, you told us how much money uh, is in the healthcare system and how much is not used for health care? There's approximately $3.6 trillion. I don't even know how to write that out. I'd have to look it up. A lot of zeros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, uh, about a third of that, which is uh, uh, $3.2 trillion, is wasted. It has nothing to do with direct uh, Healthcare. Yeah, um, now that's a that's a really really important point. That one third of the resources, the finances, the revenue that goes through healthcare in this country is not used to pay for healthcare. That's right. And that's and that's and that's the issue that we're talking about today when we get to these bean counters and bureaucrats in the country of Taiwan, a little small country that has a universal health care program, they spend less than 2% on non-health care costs. Over 
98% of the revenue in the Taiwanese healthcare system is used to provide health care. And, and that's uh, very important. And now people are talking about uh, Medicare for all. We all want a single-payer system. It looks like politically it may be impossible to get that, but we can take certain things and cut the cost. For example, administrative charges, uh, defensive medicine, uh, pharmaceutical charges. We may be able to get our health care costs down to a reasonable level by just picking out certain items which uh, uh, can uh, re dramatically reduce the, uh, the cost of medicine uh, in this country. All right, let, let's kind of kind of not go back to the beginning, but go. We the topic was is uh, administrators, bean counters. Who are they? Why are they there? And why are there so many? Uh, you gave some numbers uh, a little while earlier, uh, Jane. I've, I've got similar numbers, but they're a little bit different. This is based upon a, a New York Times uh, article from June 9th of 2019 in the business section. And, and this basically uh, indicated that from the mid-1970s to the mid-2010s, or the late 2010s, uh, the number of healthcare administrators, I think you said they increased 300% in this time frame based upon that, um, that article. There was over a 3,000% increase in administrators, in managers in our healthcare system in this country. There are, you know, there are 10 of them based on every one of us. And then there's a second, there's a, another a similar article from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that basically shows the same thing. And then there's a third article in the, in the Harvard Business Review. And again, the numbers may be a little bit different, whether it's 300%, 3,000%, whatever. Over this period of time, there's been a huge increase in the number of, of, of these people who, who are not providing health care, but they're, they're in the process of managing the system and managing the money. And as, as you mentioned earlier, the, the health care has gradually changed from, from a, a, a system that takes care of patients uh, to a system where there's uh, uh, paperwork and computer work based on billing. So if you look at uh, some of the other components of healthcare in this country that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I was in the Navy for 20 years, two years on active duty and 18 years in the reserves, and worked in naval hospitals in this country. Uh, there's a naval hospital in Naples, Italy. And I did a number of other things. Um, if you're in the medical corps, in the, the Navy, and I'm fairly sure it's the same in the Army and the Air Force, you're a medical corps officer. If you are an administrator uh, in the Navy, and again, I'm 
pretty sure it's the same in the Air Force and the Army. I don't, I don't know that for sure. You are a Medical Service Corps officer. Uh, there are more Medical Corps officers in the Navy than there are Medical Service Corps officers. So in our our private, in our healthcare system in this country, there are 10 of them to every one of us, whereas in these um, three examples of nonprofit systems, there are more healthcare providers than there are administrators or bean counters. Well, another problem with that is those administrators are making decisions which affect uh, medical care. And they are really controlling uh, the insurance industry, the hospitals, and directly and, and particularly indirectly, uh, they're affecting uh, uh, medical care. And sometimes they don't realize it, and a lot of times uh, they have the power but not the ability to think about patient care. It's one thing to make a decision at your desk at 10 o'clock in the morning and another thing to be up all night taking care of a patient. And uh, there's a tremendous difference between that. Well, there are even simpler examples than that. Uh, as, As more and more physicians are employed by these um, health care organizations, um, they get into uh, the, the situation where the, the bean counter is sitting behind the computer looking at um, the flow of patients, and um, uh, they're encouraging the physician to see X a number of patients or to spend X amount of time you know, with any individual patient. And as we both know, when you walk into a room, whether it's a surgical follow-up patient or whether it's somebody you've not seen before, you could be in and out of there in 15, 10, 15 minutes, so you could, you could be in there for 45 minutes. And... Um, I know in Louisville, in uh, one of the health care organizations, people have left because they were encouraged to see, and these are uh, medical people, not not surgeons, but encouraged to see X number of patients in X period of time or to see one patient every 15 minutes or, you know, whatever, whatever that time frame was, the the administrators are providing guidelines about health care, how, how that should be delivered. Well, uh, another problem that's kind of the opposite of that, if uh, a patient calls in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe it's somebody that you know real well has a complicated problem, the offices are encouraged to send those patients to the ER. It may be a patient that I know real well and I can solve the problem in five or ten minutes because I know what's going on. If they go to the ER, the ER doctor doesn't know that patient, and he ends up doing all types of lab and CAT scans, and finally, after several hours, comes to a conclusion that you could have made in just a uh, 
a few minutes. Yeah. And, and this really creates a problem. Yes. Uh, let me give you another example of that. I, be, I retired um, about two years ago, and the last 10 years of my practice, I was basically an endocrine surgeon as opposed to a surgical oncologist or a head and neck surgeon. And, um, uh, you know, this is a very narrow, a narrow area of specialty, and you get a lot of referrals from a lot of different sources. And one of the things that I noticed in this, uh, as these, um, uh, these organizations, these healthcare organizations came together, they are often... Uh, you know, the basis of them is, is, is the hospital systems, you know, Norton's, Baptist, Clark County, wh whoever they were, that they, within, and I learned this from the, some of my referral sources, that within the organizations, they were encouraged to refer within the organization, not to refer outside of the organization. And uh, what I noticed over this, this, the last, you know, part of my clinical practice was I would see, uh, I have a referral physician that was pretty reliable, and I would see X number of patients in a, a period of time, an endocrinologist. And, and then, uh, then there was this period of time when I didn't, they, they, they seemed to have gone away. And I knew the disease didn't go away. It was, it was, it was hyperparathyroidism. And then uh, I was seeing patients who had been operated on by somebody who really didn't have any business doing this in the first place, and there were there were there were failures. And and there there's there's again another, this is just another example of uh, the the administrative influence on what would be a normal practice of referral to uh, you know a treatment source. Let me just remind our listeners, you're listening to Single Payer Radio with Drs. Mike Flynn and Gene Shively. Let me approach this in a little different way to give you a little different perspective. Um, in the healthcare industry, there are 770 workers per billion dollars of revenue. If you look at that, in the normal industry in America, there are about 100 workers uh, per billion dollars of revenue. If we practice in the United States like they do in Canada, we could save a $600 billion. So that's close to half the amount of money that we waste in our health care system uh, in this country. Uh, we could uh, eliminate... Um, uh, all the problems with the no insured patients, and we could probably eliminate all the copays and deductibles if we just use a similar system in reducing the administrative charges uh, in our healthcare system. Now, what what we've been talking about, in my opinion, in a in a broad overview sense is the corporatization of American medicine. And, and so we're not dealing with, uh, when I came to Louisville, there were all, all kinds of practices, surgical practices, medical practices that had two or three people or 15 or 20 people. And, 
and and they went from one hospital to another. You drove around Louisville in your car, and you, you that, that's the way it was back in the back in the seventies and eighties, and then in the kind of the nineties, things started to change, and 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 the hospital systems coalesced. Um, I I'd like to. Th- there's a couple of examples of the the influence of the bureau uh, the well, the bureaucrats, the bean counters, and the administrators that I thought we might focus on a little bit in a, in a, in a more specific way. Um, and there's, there were three. One are the pharmacy benefit managers. Uh, the others are the for-profit health insurance company. And the, the third one is investor-owned health facilities. Because when we talk about, when you talk about changing the system to make it more efficient and save a, a, a lot of resources to be used for health care, the, these people are, are, are invested in, not in, in doing just the opposite. Their goal here, these are, these are, these are for-profit entities that are taking money out of health care for, uh, for mostly for profit or for some other reason. When you, cause so when you mention that one-third of the three-point-whatever-it-was trillion dollars is not used for health care, it's going into the pockets of the pharmacy benefit managers, uh, the for-profit health insurance companies, and the people who invest their own nursing homes. So um, let me let you, let you respond to that, and then maybe we could focus a little bit on pharmacy benefit managers for a bit because that's something that made my hair stand up on end when I started looking into this. <laughs> pharmacy benefit <laughs> managers. Uh, um, I don't know exactly what they do, Um uh, and I've talked to a bunch of pharmacists, and a lot of the pharmacists don't know what they do. But I can tell you they're making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the key, transparency. They don't want you to know what they do. They are the middleman. This is a for-profit company that takes a cut of just about everything it does. Now, it... The way I understand this, this is the middleman between the drug company that makes the drugs, the, the wholesaler who sells the drugs, the pharmacy who dispenses the drugs, and the insurance company who pays for the drugs. And so they they they've got their hands in the cookie jar of all of these organizations, and they're making huge amounts of money from they, it. They develop a extremely complex system. Yes, and uh, they make money on that complex system. Uh, I certainly don't know, understand the way that it works. Uh, for uh, just show you how complex it is. Uh, if you have a particular drug, uh, go on the internet and look at GoodRx, and see the huge difference in what you have to pay at different uh, drug stores. 
And you can also uh, uh, try to figure out what good RX is doing. I've had a discussion with my son and my stockbroker about good RX. <laughs> and, and you can save a lot of money. Uh, I don't know exactly how they're making money. I think they make money by advertisements that they have on their uh, uh, websites. Also, they have a fee that they charge patients. And uh, they also have complex relationships with different pharmacies. But GoodRx may be a way that a for-profit company can decrease the cost of drugs. We'll have to wait and see. But it, it, uh, their system is also complex. But I can tell you from personal experience that you can save money by doing that. Now, the ex- obscurity that, that, that exists here is important because right. that's, that's how they function. Now, they, the way I understand it, and, I, and, I, and I, this is three levels above my pay grade, uh, they make money revenue from the supply chain, okay? And that involves all these people. It involves the, the customer or the patient. It involves the pharmacy. It involves the insurance company. It involves Medicare. It involves the drug manufacturer and the wholesale <laughs> distributor. So they, they, they get rebates from manufacturers, and I'm trying to figure out how exactly that works if they— if if, uh, uh, if if uh, Purdue Pharma makes a drug, and and then they they will then uh, the drug is then disp- is sold to a to a wholesale uh, company that then um, sells the drug to uh, the Kroger pharmacy. These guys are getting a piece of the action uh, you know, e- e- each step of the way. They make money uh, on a, something called the, quote, spread, unquote, quote, which is a difference between <laughs> what the uh, pharmacy benefit manager pays from the drug uh, for the drugs, how much is paid by the insurer, and how much they charge the patient. I mean, this is this is this is a this is a web, a spider web of confusion, and and these people are—they're not stupid, but you know, this is the kind of 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 uh, this is what you're dealing with when you when you say, well, we can save a lot of money if we can if we don't have to do all these things. Well, you, how how are you going to get rid of these people because they they've got their hands in the cookie jar up to their elbows. Well, another interesting thing is that the managers work out different deals with different drug companies. <laughs> but I, I can pull up on my uh, iPhone here and pull up a specific drug, and it will cost you different prices at Kroger, Walmart, CVS, etc. And it's amazing some of the differences. There can be like up to $100 difference. And how that works, I don't really know. And I can tell you most pharmacists uh, don't uh, really know how that works. Now, the reason nobody knows 
that I that I figured out from from doing all this research on the internet is this is all and the, the, I don't know how who decides makes these decisions all of this the mystery behind all of these activities as opposed to transparency is considered proprietary information that's correct which is a bunch of crap and they the 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 nobody knows what they're doing and the people who are getting screwed are the customer or the patient when you go to the pharmacy another interesting thing that can happen you can go to the drugstore and pay cash for a drug and get it much cheaper than if you use your insurance let's say you got medicare and you got a, a uh, Part D uh, insurance. If your insurance pays for this drug, then the 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 manager, the pharmacy benefit manager, may make money because they're paying more than you would pay for cash. Now, if you think things are bad, hold on to your seat because it's going to get worse. Because there's in the process, Cigna for-profit insurance company, which is another nightmare from the standpoint of health care costs, is in the process of merging with Express Scripts, which is a pharmacy, big pharmacy benefit manager company. That's just one example. The second example is CVS, which is a combination of um, pharmacy chains, pharmacy benefit managers, now owns Aetna. I mean, this, this is becoming a, 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 you know, a, a monopoly nightmare where all these, these for-profit entities are coming together in order to extract more and more and more money out of the healthcare system it's not going to be used for health care. And it's just going to be lining the pockets of these people who, who are exploiting the vulnerability in our system because we don't have a system. It sounds like you're recommending that you buy some of those stocks. You might make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the, it is uh, other private insurance companies also have their own pharmacies. Yeah. And... They sell pharma, uh, drugs online. Now, I'll tell you something else that's interesting that I only found out about a couple of days ago. Telemed is becoming extremely popular, and some companies, let's say you need a drug. Let's say you need Cialis, and, and you don't have a primary care physician. You can get online and request this drug, and the company who's selling it can get a doctor online on telemedicine and write you a prescription after they get some information from you. Where this is going to go, I have no idea. But it, it, there are a lot of interesting variations going on with uh, telemed. Well, it ain't going anywhere in, in, unless somebody's got some political will in this country. Uh, one of the other things that I did was I, I tried to find out um, about uh, 
pharmacy benefit managers in Canada, Australia, and Europe. And just like I couldn't find any information about medical bankruptcies, I couldn't find any information about pharmacy benefit managers. So um, I guess I may be making an assumption, but if you can't find anything about those things, that probably don't, it's probably not an issue. Probably yeah. doesn't exist. They don't exist in Canada. Yeah. The Canadians buy their drugs. Uh, there's a committee that bids for the drugs. If the drug company's unhappy with what they bid, they can appeal that to an, uh, it's kind of like an appeals court or appeals uh, committee. And most uh, uh, countries buy their drugs that way. The VA does the same thing, and the military does the same thing. But Part D of Medicare, it's against the law for Medicare to bid for drugs. Yeah, I know. That's insane. And, uh, at, again, hopefully somebody's going to get a hold of this um, this system and change it. Okay, that's that's one example. I know we could go on. <laughs> we could rant about this. Well, I'm already getting <laughs> angry, so let's let's just go to something else. Uh, well, I don't. The next one's not going to make you feel any better. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. What is the goal, the mission, or the purpose of a for-profit, investor-owned health insurance company? It's to make money. Exactly. It is to make as much money, to keep and make as much money as possible. And they're very good at it. They do a really, really good job. Um, there are over 1,000 for-profit health insurance companies. Uh, they have some 20, 30 different plans. Um, the quality of coverage is going to be dependent on the premiums that are paid, whether by it's paid by the individual or whether it's paid by uh, the, the employer or a combination of the two, uh, big premiums, good coverage. Uh, if you have a large group, um, before I retired, I was part of the University of Louisville. The University of Louisville was self-employed. I'm sorry, self-insured, self-employed. <laughs> uh, mouth is going faster than the brain. Self-insured. So they, they would hire a uh, for-profit insurance company to manage the plan, but they don't make any profit from the plan. They just manage it and dispense it. And I had really good coverage, and it was at really low cost. Now, do you both remember we had uh, we had a... Uh, a, a, a nice lady, a retired uh, OBGYN, on not too long ago, and and she was uh, telling us how, after she retired uh, from her her small, I think she was in a small group practice. Um, she and her husband, who was a dentist, uh, in a solo practice with about two or three people in the office, and. Um, so they then the other people in his office apparently had health care from some other organization. So they weren't, you know, they he didn't have practice uh, health care in his practice. So the two of them, this the gynecologist and her husband, the dentist, their health plan was um, it cost ten thousand dollars a year. 
and she had uh, $8,000 $8, uh, deduction. So the health care didn't come in, didn't, didn't, didn't kick in until she'd worked, didn't they spend $8,000? And, you know, there's a, I have another friend out in Crested Butte who's a small property manager. He and his wife had this little, and they had the very same, similar sort of outrageous numbers of a huge deduction and an outrageous premiums. For, Almost for, all the self-insured yeah. people have deductibles like that. Yeah. And it's becoming almost impossible uh, to uh, buy that and sustain it uh, unless you're uh, making a lot of money. Uh, most people in Camelsville, Kentucky, don't have that much money to spare. And then, so the other issue about, and these people in the for-profit health insurance companies, as well as the pharmacy benefit managers, don't provide health care. They are basically bean counters and bureaucrats within the system that are playing the system for their profit. So what we have now with the for-profit health insurance companies is this incredibly complex system that the patient must endure in order to get their coverage paid for and that the provider must endure in order to get paid. So you've got uh, pre-authorization. I remember when we had Ted Young, the surgeon from Canada, we, uh, we had asked him about, uh, you know, how much of an issue is it if you get a, a scan, it's not very good quality, and then you need to get an, a better quality scan in order to do it. It's not an issue. They, did, they didn't have the issues up there. There are co-payments, you know. Uh, every time you walk into a physician's office, your co-payment could be anywhere from 15 to $40 or $50, depending upon what kind of a plan you had. You've got deductibles. You've got coverage denials. So if you have a really lousy plan that doesn't cover anything, you may not get, if you, you if the wife gets pregnant, she may not have any maternity benefits. I mean, this stuff is awful. Surprise billing, where, where the, the, the different organizations have got signed up people, and if you happen to go into the emergency room, because you dropped a pot on your foot and you get an x-ray uh, and, and then uh, the radiologist who reads it is in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, reading x-rays on his, his computer or then and you get a bill from him that's a, a, thousand, you know, a lot more money than you otherwise would uh, and, and, or will you go to the emergency room or you go to have an operation done and the anesthesiologist there's all kinds of examples of this stuff and then there's co-insurance I mean so you've got insurance and you have to get more insurance and, and then uncovered services and the resources from all that end up going into the pockets of, of, you know, the CEOs of the insurance companies are making $20, 30000000 million a year, and they're just the top of the food chain. Uh, uh, when you go all the way down, the amount of money that these people suck out of the system is enormous. Well, we haven't talked about equity companies uh, controlling uh, 
uh, facilities. And we've only got five minutes left, so I'm not sure we're going to be able to well. Be able I, to get I don't to know what you can say, but I just re- just found out a few weeks ago that all the nursing homes except one in my uh, surrounding area are owned by equity companies. Yeah. Now, uh, I assume that most of you know that equity companies are um, companies that were investors put money and uh, the equity companies buy other companies, but they expect to make uh, quite a bit of money. They expect to make at least uh, 10%. Now, if you buy a nursing home, uh, there's only one way that you're going to... uh, make money, and that's decreased your expenses. There may be a few rare nursing homes who have private care. You know, their patients are paying $10,000 a month, but most nursing homes are filled with Medicare and Medicaid patients, so that nursing home is only going to get a limited amount of money. So the nursing home is only going to be able to... um, uh, to make money by decreasing uh, their overhead. Uh, Gene, let me let me suggest that we, uh, since we're so short on time, let's plan to do a part two of this okay. and, and get into the nursing homes, and even get back into the in for-profit insurance companies some more because there's there's a, there's a lot about that that we haven't discussed. But l- let me just just kind of finish up with a couple of issues here about where where does where the money goes so this is again new york times article uh in november uh, 17 2019 <clears throat> in 2018 single quarter profits this is not revenue this is single quarter profits of 85 top publicly traded health insurance companies. These are the for-profit insurance companies. These are only 85 out of the 1,000. This is one quarter, <laughs> $47 billion. So if you add that and multiply that times four, it's just going to be you know something under $200 billion. And I just got one more, one more figure. I got this this morning. Yes, I was drinking my cup of tea before we I left here. Uh, in 2019, next year, United Healthcare made 40 billion, 14 billion dollars in profit, and had 242 billion in revenue. And CVS, which we just talked about, which is the 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 pharmacy chain, the pharmacy benefit manager, and now owns a health, for-profit health insurance company, made $6.6 billion in profit. This is just one year, 2019. And the annual revenue for the same year, 2019, was $257 billion. These are huge amounts of money. And what I would suggest that we do when we come back and do this again is to pick up where we are here and and, and go through some of the issues of, of 
you know, where does this, where, where's this money going? Because the profit is just the, the icing on the cake. They're, they're spending money on doing all kinds of other things, including huge uh, political contributions to keep this system the way it is. How much time have we got left, uh, Mark? We're down to the end of well, the live. Well, we're uh, we're about there, Mike. Okay. Well, let's do this. Let's. I think we've got a lot more to talk about in in dealing with the bureaucrats and the bean counters, the for-profit insurance companies, and we haven't even gotten into the investor-owned mm -hmm. companies. So let's throw the towel in and come back another day. We've got a billion dollars worth of stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mike and Gene, as we're talking about uh, nursing homes, I have a friend who, who's dead in his early 90s. Dementia's taken hold. And it's not just trying to care for your uh, the interest of your senior parent, but it's also the complications of even applying for Medicaid. And the whole issue of different elder care attorneys and, and their practices to help people navigate an application process. So it's, it's uh, the, the thing about a single-payer system, it simplifies everything. We don't have all these opaque hoops to jump through and where's the money going. It goes to health care. But, but next time we get into that, bring that up because I've got a story about a, a, a friend of mine who was a— uh, who practiced a primary care physician in England and when I'd visited with him and, and, and a visit we took to nursing homes. Okay. And also, uh, I want to tell our uh, listeners that um, if you go to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, they've got some real good information about what's happening with increasing access as part of the COVID-19 uh, relief legislation that's going through committees and going to be coming up for a vote. Um, it's not single payer, but expansion for Medicaid and some other things that are going to help folks out. Uh, the uh, website for the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, CP, I'm sorry, CBPP.org cbpp.org and um, our listeners can uh, get more information about Kentuckians for single-payer health care by going to kyhealthcare.org that's kyhealthcare.org and if you have comments or suggestions for shows here on single-payer radio you can contact our chairperson, Kaytello, at nursenpo at aol.com. That's nursenpo at aol.com. And also, uh, I would encourage folks to support Forward Radio. You can also listen to past shows of single-payer radio 
by going to forwardradio.org. That's forwardradio.org. Guys, a lot of very valuable information um, that we're basically, our health is a profit center <laughs> for folks playing the stock market and, and uh, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's a gamble. It's a commodity. That's the issue. Gene? I have nothing else to add. It's a commodity. Okay. Gene, thanks for driving up from Campbellsville for our shows. Mike, uh, the jog over from Cherokee <laughs> Park. <laughs> and uh, listeners, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.